Now, oh God, it, it was such an adventure just to walk through your word a few minutes ago and see how many times um, incredible um, believers, people who trusted in you, declared that out loud. There's no one like you, God. Think of all the impossibilities facing even those of us here in this room and watching on on, on Zoom, God. I, uh, I think of all the impossibilities. God, are you a God who's great enough to intervene in those situations? We believe that you are. God, are you a God who is great enough, God, to speak into each of those situations, to speak life where we can only see death, to speak hope where we can only feel despair? God, is it possible that you would do it again and you would enter into our impossibilities, God, and prove yourself glorious? I know it's possible, God. Because you left your throne in glory and entered into an impossible situation for humanity, God. We were dead in our sins. But you intervened. You walked with us. You, you told us of an amazing Father who loved us even in the midst of our brokenness and sin. You, you, you called us to worship him. And then, God, you gave your own life so that we might have a relationship with you. Now, we confess that we believe the lies of our culture. We believe the lies of our own flesh, our own voices in our heads. We certainly are tempted to believe the lies of the evil one, that, that this would be too much for you. And then you prove yourself glorious. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're greater than our brokenness. You're greater than our pain. You're greater than our impossibilities. Jesus, you are greater than our sin. And oh, we are sinful people, God. Would you, even now, wash over us with your Holy Spirit, God? Many things we're already aware of. Give us the courage to surrender them now to the God of the impossible. God, I know there's hidden things too. By your Holy Spirit, would you just sift our hearts and gently bring to the surface those things which are yet unsurrendered to you. God, and then in your mercy and grace, remove them from us. God, we want to see you clearly. We want to hear your voice clearly. We want to take our lead from you and to live out the life that you set apart for us before the foundation of the world. So forgive us our sins, God. Give us the courage to receive the mercy and grace that is ours through Jesus Christ, and then to lift up our eyes and gaze on your beauty and to follow that peace, God, wherever it would lead. Or Vince, as he begins a new life with his bride, we just pray that that peace would guide them. 
for the many in our midst, even here in the room, facing incredible physical challenges, God. Lead us with your peace through those struggles. On behalf of those who don't yet know you, uh, God, we, we pray that your peace would fill us, surround us, and guide us. And then, God, we just look forward to that day when we're able to celebrate what you have done, when we're able to rejoice together at the very answers to the things that we've entrusted to you today. We love you, God. We love you, and we commit ourselves to you anew now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, wow, I didn't realize I was far down the sanctuary. <laughs> Sorry. You sit in the back, and I'm going to come find you, okay? Uh, I just keep moving while I'm praying, and I didn't realize where I was. Uh, so I'm laughing. I had this vision of Chris standing there opening the doors, just letting me walk right out the back door. We want to open God's Word right now. And so would you, however you access his word, would you pull it up and, um, and let's, uh, let's start, I'm, I'm just deciding right now, let's start with a continuation of our passage from last week. If you were with us, um, those of you who didn't have a heart attack when you saw how, how many um, verses we were going to try and tackle, uh, we didn't make it through about half of it, but we're picking it up today. And adding a little bit more. And, um, and so we are in Luke chapter 10. Let's do the first nine verses together again, just to set that context for ourselves again. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. If you are new to the Word of God, then about two-thirds of the first part is the Old Testament. And, and then, there's, then there's four Gospels that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And John, and we are in Luke chapter 10. Hear the word of God, would you? After this, after Jesus, we saw last week, explained to them the cost of following him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, right? Therefore, pray earnestly, fervently to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest and go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Yeah, that's exactly what he meant. That's not a pretty picture. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a person of peace, a son of peace, a daughter of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him or her, right? And and look at this dynamic. But if not, if there is no person of peace in that house, your peace will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God 
has come near to you. Would you read with me that last sentence? Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The very word of God. That's our main passage for today. Keep a thumb in that passage if you would. But then as you turn to the right, then you're going to um, see Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And in anticipation of Labor Day weekend, uh, we're going to read just a couple verses from Colossians uh, here this morning. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, 15 through 17. Oh, I, I feel criminal starting right there in the middle of an incredibly beautiful passage. Mark this. Go back. Drink deep of Colossians chapter 3. But hear these words from beginning at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, the very word of God. Hmm. If you're new with us and you say, why does he keep saying that? The very word of God. It's not, not to remind you, it's to remind me, right? This is God speaking to us. And I thought I would just ask real quick just to reset ourselves as we come back to a passage we studied last week, as we come back to what honestly is a very familiar passage, let me just ask you this. Is the Word of God true? Is it? It is, isn't it? Right? Isn't it? So often I'm with people and, and their story is, is, is my story, right? They're still wrestling with the Word of God and, and their own feelings about what God should be like, right? Well, if I could just touch you and, and free you from that burden, um, you, would, you would save days, weeks, months, years of struggle that you don't have to do, right? James says, if any of you is lacking wisdom, just ask God and He'll give it to you, right? Uh, and, and God has given us wisdom in this, his word. So I ask you again, is the word of God true? Let me ask you another question. It sounds the same, but it's slightly different. Does it speak to us today? It does. It does. You can go to the word and the word will lead you to life. When I was growing up, there was a big um, debate, and it still rages. The name, the words are just different. There was a big debate about the relevance of, of Scripture, right? The relevance of God, the relevance of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I just want to say to you, I want to declare to you today, the issue of 
is the relevance of the Bible. It's timeless. It speaks to every age and stage, right? The issue is not the relevance, though, of the Bible. Beloved, the issue is obedience to the Bible, right? Because if I were to ask you, is the Bible relevant? Many of you would probably say, yes, it is, right? But do we put it into practice? And this presses us because really quickly we moved to that place. Well, that was then, right? But, but, but the Bible could not have anticipated, I'm smiling even as I say this, the Bible could not have anticipated the circumstances which we live, right? Really? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Maybe the Bible doesn't have the word computer in it, right? But it has the word temptation, right? Uh, a lot of words that we use, you would not find in the Bible, but the concepts are very much there. So, so not only is the issue obedience, well, we put it into practice, but I want to push you further and, and drive you to that place where you come to believe that the Bible speaks. And when it speaks, it's telling us things that we can do right now. And this, today's passage is just a classic example of that because it looks like something for back then, right? Even the language that we've been using this morning, house, you know, when you enter a house, really? Eat what's before, really? Um, uh, it sounds like something that was a part of the first century culture, but I want to I suggest to you that this is very much a part of our culture as well. Oh God, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and May they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So when when Jesus sends out the 72, he uses these words, right? We spent a lot of time last week on how, how to travel light, how to prepare for the mission of God. But today we're going to get right into the teeth of it, right? Because beginning in verse 5, he says, Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. Now, that sounds like, like mystery, right? Like, like really? Is, is peace of Christ, is it palpable like that, Right? My my challenge to you is to put the Word of God into practice and to believe that what is true right here in in the first century that Luke recorded is it's also true for us today, that you can go into a, a, a house, you can go into a city, you can go into a neighborhood, you can go into a workplace, and these principles will still apply. You can declare... Peace be in this place, right? Wow. Wow. So, so our first challenge here is, is to find a person of peace in, I'm going to use our language, in the neighborhood in which God has sent us. I'm going to say it one more time. That may be your physical neighborhood. I got dinged this morning, my, my prayer, um, the bless every home dinged me this morning, and it was way over on the far side of my neighborhood, and seven houses for me to pray for this morning, right? And I'm so grateful for bless every home 
uh, um, when I'm not feeling particularly creative, it says, try this. And it gives you a scripture to pray over those people. By the way, this morning, Jeremy and Shelley Hawkins were on my list. And so it's so cool to pray for them this morning. But, but the word of God is, is inviting us to, to speak into, uh, into our neighborhood. And, and you may have, the first week, defined your neighborhood slightly different than my literal neighborhood. It might be the houses around you, but it might be your workplace. It might be the, um, pick on Mary back there, it might be the club that, that sews together, right? It might, it, God has created a neighborhood for you, a group of people, and and you are the light of Christ in that neighborhood. Now, traditionally in American mission models, we have we have seen the missionary as someone who goes into a foreign land, who um, who learns that culture and eventually earns the right to speak into that culture and. And that relational evangelism model is not wrong, but he's giving us a a powerful model right here. And that is to go into your neighborhood, however you defined it, and find a person who's already in that neighborhood, right? And then disciple them where they are, right? Why? Because if if you pull them out of that neighborhood... And pull them into your neighborhood, then they have the burden of learning your culture, right? They have to learn. When do we stand up in church? When do we sit down? You know, what do we do when he says the very word of God? You know, there's a culture that they have to learn. But if you go into your neighborhood, find that person of peace, disciple them within their culture, invite them to stay in that culture, and and then if they uh, uh, become a, a more and more a disciple of Jesus, you just gently just gently step out and pray for them and coach them and love them, right? Jesus has given us a different model. They went from city to city planting communities of faith, and they did it by finding a person of peace. So let's, let's get a little bit um, more in-depth as we talk about what does that look like, finding a person of peace? Let me just say that Making disciples is easier, and this is completely Dave here, but it's easier if you're working with God and the people that God has already prepared to receive you rather than trying to force the gospel on people who aren't ready or, or, or worse, people who want to use God but don't want to know God, right? Wow. And, and there are multitudes, right? I will use God. I will use religion. I'll even use relationship with you if it gets me something I want. But I don't really want to know God. What if God has already prepared a woman or a man in that neighborhood to receive the gospel, right? How do we find them, right? Well, the way to engage a new people group then is to find the person of peace. I say that and... and and I'm immediately struck that, that when this is working like, like Luke describes it right here, um, the person of peace will find you, right? They will find you. We just have to prepare ourselves to be found, right? Whom, whom God has already prepared to receive the gospel, right? Whom God has already prepared and, and to receive and exponentially multiply 
the gospel within their people group. That's a person of peace, right? So, wow, I know, I know for a lot of this, this is like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm talking exactly about what Jesus sent his followers to do. Now, we're pulling it from Luke 10, but we could have gone to Luke 9 when he sent the 12 out. He did the same thing, right? I want you to notice that this is very different than our current, current kind of model of evangelism, where I go and I share Christ with Kathy one-on-one, right? And, and, and when Kathy comes to know the Lord, then, then we rejoice, right? Our current model is kind of one-on-one. What Jesus is describing is whole cities coming to know Jesus through Kathy because as his follower, I shared peace. She received it. And I took that as a signal from God that this is the person I'm to invest in, right? So exponentially multiply. Because now all of a sudden, Kathy is taking on a, a whole neighborhood all by herself. Uh, Sandy's taking on a whole neighborhood by herself. Do you see how that works? It's, it's not addition. It's multiplication. God, God is a movement, not, not a, an individual act of the will, right? So note that addition between, or the difference between addition and multiplication. So how do you do this? How do you find a person of peace? We've, we've said it already. First, proclaim the peace of Christ, right? And let me just add a couple caveats with that. Proclaim it with your life, right? Our verse in Colossians 3, 15 through 17 describes not just not just words, but, but also a whole life that honors God. And that's why you will do so well. In fact, I, I think we're going to shift gears because Colossians is so rich. I think in the, this fall we'll, we'll go do that book together because it has so much for those of us who are pouring our lives into people of peace. Proclaim the peace of Christ with your life. And, and remember in, in Colossians um, 3, 15 through 17, that, that, that Paul said, you were called to this. You were called to this. I've been thinking a lot about call. What's God's call in my life for this season of my life? Well, I know Colossians 3 answers part of that. I was called to peace, right? I was called to peace. So I've got to proclaim the peace of Christ with my life. That means I'm going to live conspicuously Christian life, right? I'm going to live a conspicuously Christian life. Note that, that I'm not talking about living a conspicuously religious life, right? There are many forms of religion, and many of them are incredibly complementary and helpful. But, but what people need to see is a heart that's earnestly seeking after God. What people need to see is a Christian, right? Just one woman, one man who will believe God's word and put God's word into practice. Now, Colossians 3, 15 through 17 gives us several uh, helps in that, right? Live conspicuously Christian lives. Let the word of God dwell in you. Let it take up residence in you, right? And use that, that very word of God to teach other people, to even admonish them, right? We'll come back to that in a little while. Um, it, it's very practical. Sing spiritual truth. Sing songs and hymns 
and spiritual songs. Three categories we'll explore again another time. But, but seeing spiritual truth with gratefulness in your heart to God. So Paul's given us very practical ways to live conspicuous Christian lives. He ends this, this, these three verses by saying, do everything, everything you do, do in the name. In other words, the nature and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do everything, right? So, so um, we, have, we have this step-by-step outline of how to live in such a way. Uh, let me just remind you, we talk about it on a regular basis, that people won't always receive the way that you live. Uh, many people will, um, will persecute you as a result of if you live a conspicuously Christian life. Um, am I making that up? Are you reading the newspapers? Right? Um, the world is increasingly opposed. The culture, especially here in the United States, is increasingly opposed to the things of the gospel. So you stand for those things. You live conspicuously as a follower of Jesus, and you very, very well may suffer as a result of that. If not physically, like, like being beat up, um, you may very well suffer. The house might not be sold to you, right? The store may not sell things to you. Um, you, may, you may suffer as a result. So I just remember just before our passage, Jesus spent quite a bit of time with the disciples talking about the cost of discipleship. There is a cost to this, right? Oh, my goodness, right? Some, some will persecute you as a result, but many will be strangely drawn to you. And as we have taught so many different times, um, the weird thing is often it's the very same people. The very same people who persecute you one moment. The persecution is because you're touching their heart. You're, you're, you're singing a, a song that is resonating with them, right? And they're pushing you away, right? But the, the reason they're pushing so hard is because they're strangely drawn to you. And I won't go into it again, but that was the story of my coming to faith in Christ. Was I, I saw Christ so lived out, right? That, that I was drawn to him, but I was drawn to them, right? And so, so just understand that, that if you live out uh, the Christ life, some people will, will uh, persecute you, will reject you. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm smiling because of the marketplace chaplain work I do. Um, oftentimes I run into people who run when they see me coming, right? <laughs> It's kind of like afterwards in the gym. You know, people just run. They scatter. Here comes Dave. Run. Okay. Um, um, and, and I just keep showing up. I keep showing up. There's this one gal that has a big old monster. I'm thinking of you, Chad, back there. Big old monster, um, like three screens in front of her, right? And so I, I can see her eyes as I come into the room. And then as soon as she sees me. Kind of like Jeannie Dartery in the back row over there. She ducked behind that pew last week when she saw me. She just went like that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, that's okay because those people are watching, right? And they've seen how you relate to other people. And, and, and in their heart, they're wondering, I wonder if there is a God who loves me, right? And who cares about me. 
So live conspicuously uh, Christian lives. So you proclaim the peace of Christ with your life, but also with your words. I love, and I have told you several times, St. Francis of Assisi's famous saying, it's attributed to him anyway, right? Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words, right? Isn't that beautiful? I'm just going to say it is necessary. Use words. Live the conspicuous Christian life. St. Francis was completely correct. And the reason I even mention him is because he's such a light, right? In the midst of a painful world, he's such a light. But you've got to use words at some point, right? And, and here in our passage, they give us the words to, to speak. Peace be with you. That sounds so archaic, right? It sounds so... Something that my, my Episcopalian grandmother would say, right? Um, but wow, when you have the peace of Christ and when you speak the peace of Christ into people's lives, they get it. They get it, right? I would just note... At the end of the passage, he gives you more words to say, right? So, peace be with you, right? And then he gives you more words to say. Say to them, say, say it out loud. Don't trust that they're going to pick it up from your lifestyle. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, right? The kingdom of God is near. Wow. But, but there's more power in peace. And in fact, there's a, there's, a, there's a critical part of it for you, right? When you speak peace to someone, it, there's this weird dynamic that, 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 the, that the Bible describes as like peace is this separate entity that's floating out here, like it's trying to land, right? And if peace wants to land on you, right? But you won't let it, right? It's a very, I actually come here for peace myself. Okay, so yeah. But it's, it, that's a weird dynamic. And, and he says, if it won't land, if, if, if you, and, and do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had that experience? Yeah, we do, right? We're not making this up. It's like it flows out there and it won't land. And, and the Bible says, if that comes back to you, then you know that's not the person of peace, right? Uh, in, the, in the part of the passage between uh, verse 12 and 16, I think, he talks about shaking the dust off your feet. Don't spend a lot of time there, right? Because, because the peace is not landing. Find that person of peace. It sounds like you're rejecting them. No, you're not. You're just trying to find that person who will ultimately reach them. Because if you find that person of peace in that neighborhood, it's, they will reach that person that's rejecting your peace right now, Right? And so this weird dynamic is that peace actually, the, um, I think the ESV, I know the NIV does, says rules, but the actual word is much more akin to the word umpire, right? It's much more akin to the word umpire. The peace of Christ will umpire in your heart. Shall I um, spend energy investing in Sandy here? I speak peace. The peace does not land. Um, Paul says that peace is going to umpire. Uh, this, is, this is a strikeout, Dave, right? You're striking out with Sandy. Um, uh, she's not the person of peace, right? Um, the, the peace is so palpable that it'll say yes here. It'll say no there. Learn, learn to let the peace of Christ rule or umpire in your heart. See if the peace lands or not, right? And then invest. Invest in the people who do respond. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them, right? Then, then move in, dwell with them, right? 
uh, eat and drink what they provide, right? Don't, don't go looking for someplace else. Invest in that person of peace, right? And that person of peace will be the gatekeeper for that neighborhood, that, that community that, that God is trying to reach you. Well, let me just spend one more moment. I don't know if this is in your notes or not. It wasn't in last week's, but I might have snuck them into this week's. Um, people of peace will have three characteristics, right? First of all, you're, you're sensing whether or not your peace landed. But then, but then as you are spending time with them, these three characteristics will happen. First of all, they'll be open to a relationship with you. And we're assuming these are people that don't know Jesus, right? This is someone that doesn't know Jesus that is open to a relationship with you. Not only are they open to a relationship, but they will hunger for spiritual answers for their deepest questions. And, and where do we go for spiritual answers to their deepest questions? Do we go Bible answer women and men? Do we go to Bible? We go to the Bible itself, right? We go to the Word of God itself. And when you go there with them, then when that Word proves true, they're their affection, their trust is for the word and not for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you invest in them by um, going to the word of God for spiritual answers to their deepest question. Another characteristic of people of peace is that they will share what they learn with others. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> for six years, we have asked... Um, Questions at the end of our Bible studies. Can you picture them? If you believe this to be true, what would you need to do about it, right? The I will statement. If you believed it to be true, how are you going to put it into practice? But the second question, do you remember that one? Who are you going to share what you've learned with? Who are you going to share? And we always leave a space in those, in those notes for writing their name down. Who are you going to share what you Learned. Oh, come on. Come on. Pastor Dave, aren't you just getting pedantic here? I'm not. This is the word of God, right? This is the word of God. People of peace will share what they learn with others. Let me just say real quick, don't assume that every friendly person is a person of peace, right? There are lots of friendly people who have no interest in the kingdom of God. I think that might be the motivation for Jesus to say, Greet no one along the way. Don't be distracted in your search for people of peace by just friendly, very nice people, right, who never put the word of God into practice. Seek the person of peace, right? Worship team, come on up if you would. I want to do a sidebar here for a second because um, if we had studied Luke 9, we would have seen this in depth. It's here in Luke 10, but it's... But the focus is so much on finding a person of peace that it almost seems like a sidebar. But open your heart, beloved. Open your heart to the miraculous. Right? Um, Jesus, Jesus told those disciples, heal the sick in your neighborhood, right? And say to them, the kingdom of God has, has come near to you. So what is it that he's asking you, beloved, Disciples of Jesus, what is he asking you to open your heart to? He's asking you that, to believe that God would heal the sick through you, right? That as you pray in Jesus' name, being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, for someone to be healed, that they will be healed, right? Do you believe that? I'm pressing you, beloved, but, 
But I'm pressing you for a reason. The time is short. We need to put God's word into practice. We've we got to open our heart to the fact that God would use you to heal the sick. We've got to open our hearts to the fact that God would cast out demons. There's so much in that, isn't there? Through you. Through you. You've got to open your heart to the fact that God would use you to speak words of life that change people's eternities. If you're overwhelmed by that, those thoughts, um, I, I think that's good. If, if it drives you to pray, right? I think that's good. And, and all these things begin with prayer. So many times, it happened again last week, so many times it says, well, I guess there's nothing else to do but pray, right? No, that's the first thing that you do. That's the first. That's not, everything we've said today depends on communication with your Heavenly Father, right? Prayer is the key to miraculous transformation. I'm going to say it one more time and get off of it. And God wants to do miraculous transformation of individuals through you so that other people can see the power of the kingdom of God and be drawn to the peace that could be theirs through Jesus. So let me ask you, again, some hard questions, right? Ask yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And what do I need to do to become one? You saw me stumble just for a second because probably there's a more important question that you need to ask first. And I might have switched it in your notes because I was thinking these lines. Have I responded to Jesus? Am I? Am I a person of peace, right? Have I responded to the ultimate person of peace? I was drawn so much to that prayer in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace, who's broken down every wall, right? He is our peace. Are you a person who have who is a person of peace? Have you responded to it? Nothing, beloved, is more important than that. If you hear nothing else this morning, the Prince of Peace wants to be in relationship with you. With you, right? And he has made a way. But the second question is, is important as well. Am I a follower, a learner? Am I a person who desires to be like my Prince of Peace? Am I a disciple of Jesus? What do I need to do to become one? In other words, if this word is true, what do I need to do in response? I just invite you to answer those questions, right? I, I, I'm going to push you. Um, sometimes the way that you understand something is when you share it with someone else. Who am I going to tell? Who am I going to go to today and say, you won't believe what Pastor Dave said today. He said that peace is a palpable uh, experience that, that lands on people or doesn't land on, pe- on people. He said that, 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 well, he quoted the Apostle Paul and said that, that, that peace can umpire Right and wrong. Peace can say, turn left or turn right. He said that peace actually leads us, right? Who am I going to tell that to today? If you're too afraid to do that, well, it's much more scary to me, but go, go stand in front of a mirror and tell it to yourself, right? But, but tell somebody. 
tell somebody what you've learned. My last thought here is, is um, going back to the Lord sending them out two by two. Right? That's so critically important. Be held accountable. Be held accountable. All the questions that I've asked, if no one comes and says to you, you know, are you doing what Pastor Dave challenged you? I didn't know how to make it any simpler than throw a three-minute party for somebody. Right? I don't. I, I don't know. That that's inviting, right? Um, so many didn't do it. He didn't do it, right? I know there's myriad reasons why, but probably because nobody said to you until a week later when I said it. How did you do with your three-minute party, right? Find an accountability partner. Find somebody who you can say, would you ask me the hard questions? Would you, right, um, be the one who makes sure that I do what I say, what I say I'm going to do, not what somebody else said I'm going to do, what I say I'm going to do, right? Remember, if I believe this word to be true, what would I need to do in response Um, Someone once said this to me, and I found it to be so true. People do not do what you expect. People do what you inspect. Does that make sense? And so if nobody ever says, did you do what you said you're going to do, most likely human nature, sinful human nature, is that we will not do it, right? So ask yourself, who's holding me spiritually accountable? Who's holding me? Jesus is sending us out, not alone, but with someone else so that we can partner with them in the gospel. And, and when you find that person, when you answer that question, challenge one another, right? Remind each other, what have you chosen to be your neighborhood? Where do you feel God is calling you to be active? Uh, let's pick up that challenge that Pastor Dave gave us a couple of weeks ago. And will you this week throw a three-minute party for someone who least expects it, right? Would you... And I remind you of that simple one because this one's much more difficult. Would you commit yourself to risking finding a person of peace in the neighborhood which God has charged you to serve, right? There is a person there that God has prepared. Use the peace of Christ to find them, to pour your energy into them, so that they might reach that neighborhood for, for the kingdom of God. Well, right about now, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Right about now, you're thinking, who the heck am I that God would entrust so great a task to me? Right? Who, who am I that God would use me as the key that unlocks the person of peace that reaches that unreached people group for the kingdom of God, right? Who am I? You're nobody. I'm nobody. It's not about us, right? It's not about us. If it was about us, then we would mess this thing up faster than you could say anything, right? It's not about you. It's about God, right? Who is the same forever. I'm sorry, I was doing it backwards. I did it my way. It would have been that way from you left to right. 
yesterday, today, and forever. His word 2,000 years ago is his word for today. It is not about you. It is not about making a name for yourself, right? Your name will never feed the hungry. Amen? Your name will never help the lame to walk. Will it? Right? Your name will never set the captive free. It's not about making your name great. It's about making the name of the Lord great. Right? It's about making His name great. It's about His great name. Pray with me, would you? Oh, thank you, God, that it is not about us. But you have, in a mystery that is greater than I could ever comprehend, you have chosen to use such broken and weak vessels, such pots of clay as us, God, to carry so great a treasure, to carry the great name of God to a world that desperately needs to name Him. So God, even as we worship you, would you, would you lift up our eyes from our own selves? Would you allow us to see the harvest just so white, God, so ready? Would you would you strengthen us to pray diligently, Lord, that that laborers would go into that harvest, and then and then God, would you use us? Would you allow us to be the very answer to the prayer we pray? Until there's not one people group anywhere in, in all of the world, God, who's not had an opportunity to hear the great name of Jesus. So we love you, God. Pray even now as we worship that your Holy Spirit would um, sift through our hearts if there's still things that are blocking us, God. Something that, that is a lie that we're believing, that is declaring that we're not worthy of this. Uh, we plead the blood of Jesus to wash it away. God, if there is just um, just a lack of courage, because because we have never stepped out like this before, God, put the name, the great name of Jesus on our lips until everyone has a chance to hear. 